This mentor-mentee relationship is the easiest in the world. And the minute we start to complicate it is when we lose it. These vet court mentors, it's not the traditional mentor model. You know, it's not a big brother or a big sister. It's not an AA sponsor. You know, the, they're just there to listen. I think we underplay the, the power of listening. You're listening to the Justice for Vets podcast when thank you is not enough. Hosted by retired Major General Butch Tate. This podcast is made possible with funding from the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Hi, this is Butch Tate, Justice for Vets. I want to thank you for joining today's podcast, Justice for Vets, when thank you is not enough. My guest today is Mr. Todd Kramer. Um, Todd's a great dude, and, and I think that you'll come to that same conclusion when all is said and done. And I'm going to ask him to to share his story, but also share his current experience where he serves as the mentor coordinator uh, for the court in Denver, Colorado. You'll hear that Todd is an Air Force veteran. He is also an Army veteran. Um, And he has had more than one person's share of challenges. And I don't bring that up just because I felt like throwing it out there. I bring it up because it's going to provide context for the comments that he'll make today so that for those of you listening, you'll get a real sense of where Todd is coming from. But but Todd, I want to thank you for joining us, and we look forward to to hearing from you today. So with that, um, you know, as, as we talked the other day on the phone, Todd, this is your story to tell as much or as little as you want. Um... So I'd like to just kind of start there. Tell us a little bit about your background that'll provide context for what you do as a mentor coordinator. So go ahead, please. Yeah, absolutely, General. Um, my story is pretty much uh, centers around alcoholism. You know, it was very much a family disease. I uh, I watched both my parents die those slow alcoholic deaths, and um, and it took hold of me pretty young. You know, I figured out at a very early age how you dealt with everything in life. You know, from celebration to tragedy, you know, um, everything was dealt with a drink. And, um, you know, I had that first drink at six. And I remember my first drunk at 11. And then at 16, I was uh, at 14. Actually, I was drinking daily. And then at age 16, I got I got my first DUI before I ever got a driver's license. And um and that started a long road, you know, from the age of 16 to the age of 32, some city, county, state, federal municipality was managing my life. I, I lived on probation. I lived in jail. And um, and then I did what a lot of us do. I didn't know this until I started doing this work in the vet courts, but um, I escaped that alcoholic home uh, looking for something that I didn't I, I didn't have. And um, I, I entered the Air Force in the early 80s. Um, and I just, I fell in love immediately with this structure of camaraderie and purpose that we talk about, you know, in my home, you just never knew what was coming around the corner and there was, uh, there was absolutely no love. So when I found the military, I mean, I just, I just fell in love with it immediately. I don't know how else to put that. You know, I mean, I found an organization that, that, um, that saw me right. And, um, if I did well, they awarded me. If I did better, they promoted me. I mean, come on. I, I I couldn't wrap my head around that. But it was that second day in boot camp. I remember um, 
I always tell people it wasn't about that man in my face. It was about all those men and women around me that I knew was going to save me. And it was this brotherhood and this brotherhood I speak of. I don't want to single out any females here. The brotherhood I speak of in the military is is genderless. You know, it's raceless and it's ageless. And um, I found out really quick after boot camp that those people had my back. And and then I found out really quick in combat that we really do have this undying love for each other. You know, and that carries way on after service, after we ETS. But um, <laughs> good old alcoholism. You know, I I. Uh, I did really well. I was the youngest in my command to pass the law enforcement desk sergeant exam. I was a law enforcement specialist, did really well. Um, and I always tell people that alcoholism always gets gets us in the end. And um, I just kept I just kept screwing up left and right. And um, and finally, I got into an incident off base that got the attention of the base commander. And I was forced out almost two years to the date of a four year tour. And um, and then my drinking just took this pivotal turn. You know, what used to be a little bit of a social lubricant and a little bit of dependency turned into anger. And I started drinking at things. And I was a mad young man. And um, my 20s were just a blur. I spent most of them locked up. Uh, convict. I was evicted from every apartment I had, fired from every job I had. And at the age of 32 in 1996, the gig was kind of up. Now I, I, now I got nine DWIs on record. Um, four of those were in the state of Texas, and that pissed Texas off. And it wasn't if Todd was going to prison. It was for how long I had to go. And then Christmas Eve of 1996, uh, a miracle happened. It was divine intervention, in my opinion. And um, I'd driven everybody I loved away, but I had one friend that combed the Houston area VFWs, and that's a lot of VFWs, until she found a veteran lawyer that took my case pro bono. He didn't know me from Adam, and he thought it'd be a good idea if I got 30 days of rehab. And um, and I went to rehab. I didn't go to rehab to, to get sober. I went to rehab to stay out of prison. But that second week of four, uh, the light came on, and um I realized I realized a lot of things that I was the problem. I blamed everybody in my life for my alcoholism, but me. And the biggest revelation was that it was going to take a community to get me sober. Every time I've treated recovery as a self-help program, I have failed miserably. And um, I got that 30 days done, went back in front of that judge. She was not impressed. Uh, she That was not enough assurance to her that I would go out and kill somebody in a vehicle. So in walks mentor number two, that veteran lawyer is mentor number one. Mentor number two comes in and, and uh, he proposed that his American Legion would get me a scholarship to go to a men's nine month halfway program. And and she agreed to that. Uh, that judge agreed to that to one term that I would report to her each one of those nine months, report progress and any regress. I was going to prison and I believed her. And, and, you know, those men came to court with me every one of those nine months. Now, Todd, I'm just curious. Not, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but were those were the, were the veteran mentors, were they all your generation? Were they Vietnam vets? Were they where they fit into the spectrum here? You know, that's that's a good point. Um, those veterans were both Vietnam veterans. And um, and I and I just want to say right now that I have never met a more compassionate, empathetic, loving group of men and women than our Vietnam veterans. You know, they vow 
not to let these younger men and women go through what they went through. Yeah, we, we probably gave them every reason in the world to not be that way, by the way, that we treated that generation of, of veterans. And now, Todd, it's, at some point, I know you you became an Army veteran as well. Where, when did you go into the Army and how long did you stay? I did. I, I you know, I I, uh, I got sober and stayed sober for about 11 years. And then post 9-11 happened. Uh, President Bush stood up, asked if you had any military experience, please help. I answered the call. I called the Air Force. They wouldn't have me. And I called the Army and they came out to my job that day and swore me in. So the next thing I knew, I was in a uh, combat MP company, guard unit out of Phoenix. And um, and off we went. I was a 40-year-old E5. You know, I, I don't think people realize that post-9-11 covered a lot of generations. You know, I was an, I had 18-year-old gunners. I was a 40-year-old E5 team leader. And my first sergeant served in Vietnam. So off we went, and um, it was a super messy tour, General. Did you have to go to uh, basic training again as a 40-year-old? I, I did a very quick, fast-track version in Fort Polk, Louisiana. Yeah, I was uh, just thinking, that, boy, I, the, the thought of doing that at 40 years old is, uh, is a bit daunting. But it, it's not lost on me hearing your story, how that, that parallel of the brotherhood and sisterhood yeah. uh, fits right into what you see in court these days as a mentor coordinator mm-hmm. uh, with with you know, the mentors that come before you. But let me let me ask you a question. Sure. Um, and, and that is it, you know, what is what was the turning point? And, and of course, keeping in mind that there, you know, there are men and women listening to this going, I haven't had that turning point, but but I'm waiting for it. It's out there. So what was Todd Kramer's turning point that headed him on the path of, of hope and restoration? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, when I came home, it was textbook uh, and I, I lost it. I just lost it. I I was extremely uh, I was peddling an extremely dangerous behavior. I couldn't get along with civilians. I had the best job in the world. I was designing troop armor and uh, I got fired from that job because I I just couldn't get along with civilians. And um, so everything happened at once. Uh, uh, it was a lot of loss. The wife left and uh, my dad died. Now I'm sitting on a pot of money. He had a cattle ranch outside of Austin. And um, I took two years. The Army taught me how to hide well. And I got a travel trailer and a puppy. And in two years, I went through $100,000 in cocaine and crown whiskey. And that, that, that wound me up with an attempted suicide. And uh, that was really my turning point. Would you say that that put you, you're, you're kind of, um, for lack of a better term, there's probably a much better way to describe this. Was that kind of rock bottom for you? Oh, yes, sir. It certainly was. But how is that you never get, Todd, you, you and I talked for almost an hour yesterday, minus the 10 minutes I was late because I couldn't tell time. <laughs> but, you know, what? why don't you give up on hope? Why did, why did you not give up on hope during this journey? You know, it was... Um, it was when I was on suicide watch. I, I, you know, I was reporting to a psych, psych doctor once a week for nine weeks. But it was this, it was this psych nurse that I had to see before each one of those visits. And what I didn't know about Malcolm at the time was he was a retired Navy combat corpsman, recovered alcoholic, and that guy took me under his wing. I mean, he did things that I'm almost certain would have got him fired today. But the biggest thing he did is he got me together with three of these Vietnam vets and we fished these East Texas waters for six weeks straight. And uh, that's where I heard it, General. I was suffering from a lot of moral injury 
And when that Vietnam veteran was pouring his heart out to me, I, I mean, it was just the most amazing thing. It gave me so much courage to talk about what I'd been through. And uh, it gave me courage, courage to go forward, to get more treatment, to seek out the VA, and ultimately to find the Veterans Treatment Court because the VA was paying me 100%. And I just wanted to volunteer. And that, that's when I found this court. And, and, and it wasn't long after I started volunteering that they offered me a position to coordinate the mentor program. So n- no surprise that you are where you are now, because not to put words in your mouth, but it seems to me you definitely appreciated the role and the value of the mentor in your journey, your successful journey to where you are today. Yeah. But how about you're a mentor coordinator? I think you're responsible for the, the mentors in some eight courts in, in the Denver area. But a little while ago, we had Judge Russell talk to us about the, the value he places on mentors. But how about talking about the role of the mentor in your veterans treatment court? Again, looking at this from the perspective of the listener who's who may find herself in that court and being told this is your mentor. What what is that mentor's role in relation to the to the veteran you know i'll i'll quote my my mentor and good friend jack o'connor that you know he says this this mentor mentee relationships is the easiest in the world and the minute we start to complicate it's when we lose it these vet court mentors it's not the traditional mentor model you know it's not a big brother or a big sister it's not an aa sponsor you know the they're just there to listen right we we, I think we underplay the, the power of listening and these veterans just need to, it's not conversation, it's processing, right? So we're actually there just to support, to listen. And then um, we have these amazing VTC treatment teams. So every problem that, that that mentee, that veteran client is going through, somebody on that VTC team can address. You know, I hear it often, Todd, I want to see my kids more. Okay, brother, well, let's go talk to that public defender. That's his job. You know, Todd, I I can't make these UAs. I'm having problems making employment. Well, let's go talk to the probation officer about that. She sets those case plans. It's a super easy relationship. It's the most inspirational. And again, that's where those Vietnam vets come in. About half of my 30-man corps are Vietnam veterans. And they're just, man, everything they do is with compassion and love. And um, it's super, super inspirational to watch. And again, that's that's to their credit because we gave them every chance in the world to to, to not be that way. And you mentioned Jack O'Connor. Uh, you're exactly right. He has a way of putting things that we can all relate to. You um, and I would agree that to the extent we don't over legislate the role of the mentor in the court, the better off we are. I know that you know we have a publication out there where we try to describe the role of the mentor, we being Justice for Vets, as a as a battle buddy. And some folks would say, well, that's not very academic. Well, let's be honest. I wrote it, and I am not an academic. And it just seemed to me that any veteran who would see that and go, oh, battle buddy, now I got it. I don't need a lot of rules to tell me what that means. And I think that's that's exactly what you're saying and is, is exactly right, that it's a battle buddy who just guides them through the process. That is correct. That is correct. And it doesn't matter what area you served in, if you're combat or not, you know, you're a veteran and you speak the language. And I think we we forget that sometimes. And I hear it in a lot of different ways. You know, Todd, I don't have time or I don't have anything to offer the veteran community. Yes, brother, you do. You have everything to offer. Just just the fact that you you, you raised your hand, man, that oath of enlistment, that's something else. I've never seen a civilian equivalent of it yet. But that is your bond. That's what that's what fosters the trust. 
And, and that leads me to my next question for you, and it, it's related to so much of what you've already said, and that is, I'm, uh, let's just play a role here. I'm a, I'm a post-9-11 vet. I'm a young soldier. Army showed me the door. I find my way in getting crosswise with the law. Next thing I know, I'm in Veterans Treatment Court, and I find this guy, Todd Kramer, who says, okay, this is your mentor. And I look, and the mentor's like 70-some years old, Vietnam. I, that that person cannot know what it's like to be me as a post-9-11 vet. What do you tell that, that veteran who might be balking at connecting with that Vietnam era or Vietnam veteran? Yeah, I could. that could be no further from the truth, right? I mean, again, that um, that Vietnam veteran knows the language, and uh, and you'd be surprised how much their war mirrored ours in so many ways, in so many ways. And I, I watch it all the time. And I and and I have female mentors, Vietnam veteran female mentors working with men. I mean, it's it's there are no boundaries here when it comes to that. You know, that's good to hear. I also tell these guys, you know. It's very important that you stay connected with your unit in some way. You know, I'm, I have two battle buddies that I that I see often. You know, we it's very important, especially in the guard, because when we get home, we disperse. We go back to our civilian jobs. It's super important that you stay connected with your unit in some way, if that makes sense. No, it does. Power, powerful point there. And that'll especially resonate with our guard and reserve component uh, veterans. Let me ask you two more things, Todd, before I let you go. The first, first is this. We, we know from listening to Judge Russell's and others on this podcast that there are quite a few services available once a justice-involved veteran gets into court. But I also think you and I would agree that it'd be really nice if, we, if they never saw the inside of a courtroom. We want to get them that help ahead of time. Your advice to veterans listening to us today who are, who want to get that help, but they don't know exactly where to turn. What do you tell them when they when it's it's time to get help, and how do they find it? Oh, you know, there's so much out there. There wasn't necessarily in in '04 and '06, but now there's so much out there. You know, I highly recommend that you get registered with the VA. They just have amazing programs. Um, if you're combat, I'd highly suggest these vet centers. Um, just great places, you know, that deal with combat and military sexual trauma. Um, and then there's the organizations are just endless. I mean, in my state, Warrior Now is huge, you know, and they're all about getting vets out. You know, Warrior Now says it doesn't matter if it's a bowling ball, a fishing pole or a campfire. We're going to get you out, you know. And remember that experience I had with that Vietnam vet that was over fishing, man. I mean, you'd be amazed what comes out of that. And and. And, you know, our VFWs, our VFWs are hurting right now. They really need the post 9-11 vet to carry it through. And um, and also remember that every VA office has a VA experience office. And in those offices are peer navigators. They're veterans. And it's their job to connect you with all these programs. So I just I know I, I, I know there's some aversion to some some folks about going in the VA, but a lot of people that are that that they don't understand why. And, and uh, I highly, highly recommend to get connected with the VA. And, and then you got Wounded Warrior Project and, and, you know, Project Healing Waters. And there's so many out there. But those VA peers, that's their job to connect you with those folks. So, so get registered. Find those peer networks. 
And, and Todd, you and I both know that, that, that setbacks are inevitable. It's only the, the very few, the very lucky, who are very fortunate, who don't have setbacks in this journey to recovery. What do you tell the vets when they try one particular avenue to get help, didn't like the person, didn't connect, et cetera, um, and they feel like, oh, here we are back at the start again? What, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you say to them? Well, you know, um, I think James said it in your first podcast, just don't give up. Just don't give up. I mean, I, I ran into some VA therapists that I didn't necessarily connect with. That drove me to the vet center. I love those guys. Those guys gave me the courage to kind of go forward. And then today I, you know, I see a private therapist, you know, that's, that's just uh, more personable and uh, just don't give up, man. Just don't give up. Hey, Todd, I want to thank you for, for joining us today and not, not just joining us. That was just a matter of a couple of clicks on zoom, but more importantly for your willingness to share your story, to talk about your, your setbacks, but, but also to really focus on, your recoveries and uh, you know the journey to where you are today that that's your your man of courage as i told you a man of resilience and we are grateful of your willingness to help others find that same path embrace that same resilience and find hope restored to their life so once again personal thanks but also on behalf of justice for vets thanks to mr todd kramer mentor coordinator out in denver for joining us today we appreciate it Thank you, Gerald. It's been an honor, sir. You take care of yourself. You too, sir. See you down the road, brother. This has been the Justice for Vets podcast, when thank you is not enough. Hosted by retired Major General Butch Tate. This podcast is made possible with funding from the Bureau of Justice Assistance. Thanks for listening. <laughs>